Welcome to Fearless Podcast. I'm Mike. And this is Orlando. And we're on episode 197, yeah. a level up preview. Yeah. Our third installment of how to win friends and influence people. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of sad that we're finishing this up. Yeah, I'm, I'm sad. I'm also excited. Um, I, <laughs> You're excited. How can you be both? Yeah. Well, I feel that um, there was a lot of great principles and I think there's going to be some things that I, I'm going to definitely take from this. I feel like this is one of those books that you can probably like get the spark notes of and really get a lot of the the principles out of it. Uh, there's a ton of anecdotal evidence and information. Shouldn't you share this at the end of the podcast? No, I mean, because that's kind of what I, I feel like we do in some ways is we kind of spark note the section, right? Yeah, so true, I, true. I think that that's um, what I, what I say people should definitely read this. Yeah. I mean, I think that if you haven't already read books similar to this, I think this is definitely a, 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 a no brainer, but I think a lot of the uh, leadership and development books that have come out since this book have kind of stolen principles or use the same oh, universal truth. So yeah. maybe it's not, they stole the principles, but they recognize the same kind of universal truths. Um, even one of our favorites, right? The never split the difference by Chris Voss. So it never spent the difference by Chris Voss. A lot of the principles, it's like I could see uh, that that Carnegie came to the same conclusions years and years before. And so um, this was definitely good. I think there was some some of the, the 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 nuances between the different principles as we started getting towards the end. I'm like, you know, I could see how these are different things, but it's kind of all the same. But I, I appreciate showing the practical evidence through the anecdotal examples of here's how a little bit of difference here using this principle in a slightly different way can get the results we want, which ultimately is to have better relationships and make more money, right? Like that's the reason why you'd read a book like this is, is you're going to have better relationships with people and you're going to be more successful in business. You're going to be more successful uh, in, in so many areas of life. And that kind of goes to, and, and I talked last time about the fact that I, sometimes I have to kind of confess my failures in some of these things. Mm -hmm. uh, and the very first chapter that we're going to start reading today is, uh, is you can't win an argument. And the whole concept is not to argue. And I'm, I'm really bad at that. And I mean, people, if they're listeners of our show know that uh, I'm, I'm really big on, if I'm right, I'm going to, I'm going to stand on this hill and I'm going to die on it until everybody recognizes I'm right. Maybe I'm right most of the time. Maybe I'm not, but that's not the point, right? The idea is, is it worth the argument? Well, and it's interesting, this book, because I, I think what makes it powerful, like I strongly suggest to read it through is that it gives examples that you can understand from different perspectives. So in some chapters, it'll say, hey, if you're a salesperson, this is what it will look like. If you're dealing with the family scenario, this is what it will look like. If you're in a political setting, this is what it looks like. And so I, it's very powerful because these principles not only will make you a better reseller, it will just make you a better person all around. And I think it speaks this next section, all of it. Uh, speaks a lot, and I don't want to get into the political aspects of things, but it speaks a lot to our current social commentary in society, right? The fact that regardless of of where we're at, like th there is no there is no in between right now, and it's, that's what it seems like. Not saying that's not true. They're not saying there's a lot of us that, hey, you know, we can be somewhere in the middle about things. But ultimately, you're either in this camp or in this camp, and and it deals with the first chapter. I mean, the very first chapter. And he's talking about winning an argument and uh, Dale Carnegie states, you can't win an argument, which for, right off the bat, you know, you're thinking right now, like if we're right to the election, right? A couple of days ago and a couple of days ago, hopefully we'll have a couple of days ago, a couple of days from now yeah. and everything's an argument, right? But nobody's winning an argument. Like there's, there's no winning in the argument at this point, right? Cause this is what Dale Carnegie says. I mean, this was 
decades ago, maybe a century ago now. When, when did you write this? Was it 1930s, 1940s? And it says 80 years in print. So. Okay, 80 years. Okay. Unless it's... Was, whenever this was... Uh, whenever know, this right? copy was Yeah, from that age. But he says, you can't win an argument. You can't because you lose it. Right? If you argue, you can't because if you lose it, you lose it. And if you win it, you lose it. Why? Well, suppose you triumph over the other man and shoot his argument full of holes and prove that he is non-compost mentis. Don't worry about what that means in Latin. Then what? You will feel fine. But what about him? You have made him feel inferior. You have hurt his people. You will, he will resent your triumph. And a man convinced against his will is the same opinion still. Yeah. I like that point too. A man convinced against his will. Right. So, uh, and that's true. And see, this comes from a person. I, I, I have a hard time with this. And there's a couple of uh, points he makes later on that I have some strong um, pushback against. But one of the things I think about this is um, it's hard because I'm a person who comes from a, a place that there is there is truth. And I think that that's important. And we we live in a culture now that's very different than this was. I think it was written in 1936, looked at, um, where this idea of kind of uh, relative truth wasn't as popular then. Uh, but now it's hard because you do want to win an argument, at least for me at times, when you see people who believe something that's blatantly false and and they they're not they don't have the facts and so i i see myself as wanting to be the person to come in and correct them but it's true that more often than not if you're not helping them find the truth themselves guiding them to the truth um even when you're very right and it's like simple things like he gives an example of somebody was giving uh, a dinner and the dinner host or the the main guest of the dinner was telling a story and he falsely said that a quote came from the bible when in fact it was shakespeare and the person responded like, no, that's not the Bible, that's Shakespeare. And they kind of got in a little argument. And a person who is a Shakespearean like scholar chimed in and was like, no, he's right. It's from the Bible. And then later on, the guy's like, well, you know, that's from Shakespeare. He's like, yeah, but but what's the point? You, you really want to make him feel bad in front of all of these guests? Like, just let him have his 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 victory. It's not going to to help. And so I think there are times when it's OK to just let it go. Right. Maybe there are things worth dying on the hill for, but probably nine out of ten things. Just let it go. Let the person be wrong, nod and agree, and and don't hurt their pride because doing that, you're going to create more hostility. I mean, on a very practical level, I can't tell you how many times I've been in a garage sale or I'm trying to broker a deal, like you know, to get a lot of inventory, and people just go off. Like the lot, the main one I get a lot is how terrible eBay is, and I'm never using eBay, and you know, there's no money in eBay because there's so many fees that are being charged. Like it's impossible to make you know any headway in eBay and and da, da 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 And so, you know, I could spend the time and say, actually, no, you can make a full-time living. You, There's actually ways to make it happen. I could go into all that, but is it worth it to me? Is it really worth it to me? It's not, right? In the end, I might win, but I won't win because that person is still going to believe what they're going to want to believe, right? It, it, I think the key issue here is what he's talking about is you got to establish goodwill with people. Right. And that's the hard thing. And that's the hard thing in our, in our society. I mean, what gets ratings, what gets people to watch, you know, cable news, regardless of what station it is. It's when people w see arguments. We like watching the arguments. But in the end, we walk away and the person that's ideologically in one camp and the person that's ideologically in another camp, they're going to walk away believing what they believe, regardless of how much people yelled at each other. So if only we applied a little bit of Dale Carnegie and we're able to, you know, talk about things without, Hey, I have to win every single time you can still win. He's not saying you can't win. He's not saying walk away and be a loser. Same thing with Chris Voss and never split the difference. His title in his book says never split the difference, meaning you always win, but there's different ways of winning. And so that, that's what he's arguing about. And so he goes into the next section of this book and he's talking about 
you know, how you can make enemies. Right. And, and the one way is like, but just stating facts and like, claiming that they're wrong. Yeah. I mean, and I've done that on this podcast, like specifically there's, there's, I think we've probably like made a highlight and I'm putting it on, on Instagram where I'm like, no, you're wrong. You're wrong. Right. And, and that's not, that's not a, a good feeling to tell somebody that, uh, because even if they are wrong, I love, he gives an example of a way, instead of saying somebody's wrong, you could say something like this. Well, now look, I thought otherwise, but maybe I'm wrong. Frequently I am. And if I am wrong, I want to be put right. Let's examine the facts. So you, you're kind of disarming them right off the bat by saying, and you can give your point, right? So maybe you've got a point like you think um, A equals B and they think A equals C. And you could say, well, look, I thought A equals B, but I might be wrong. And if I'm wrong and I'm wrong a lot, let's let's examine the facts together. And that that puts you're still presenting your your point of view. You're still explaining what it is you think is correct. And you're telling them, but I might be wrong. Let's look at the facts together. And so you guys can both come at it as let's learn together as opposed to I'm going to school you on this. <laughs> And but that's the thing. It's when you're able to do it together again, you're earning goodwill with someone, right? I mean, it's it's if you're trying to make a deal and you can't agree on a price, you can go, hey, let's look at the facts. This is the first time I'm buying something from you, right? And here's how much I want per unit, here's how much you're gonna make. But let's say we do this 10 more times, right? In the long run, you win and I win, and we're all good. But if right off the bat, like, nope, I can't go with that deal. That is, that's just wrong. You're not, you're going to make a lot of money. I'm not going to make any money. And you just start just yelling out facts. I'm telling you, it's, <laughs> I 100% believe a lot of the reasons where we're at right now uh, is because we're just all about facts. Instead of understanding that these are human beings, that we all have a reason why we believe what we believe, whether it's wrong or not, right? He, he, he actually addresses this, in a, and we'll talk about this later on in the book, about the fact that, you know, understanding people and why they believe what they believe isn't necessarily conceding that they're right and you're wrong. It's instead understanding that people have a vantage point as to why they do things the way they do things and they think the way they think. Yeah. And I recently had a customer and he gives a lot of examples of this, of like how to use this in business when a customer thinks that, um, that they've been wronged and that you've wronged them and you can point out to the facts and say, no, like we're correct in this. And he gives many anecdotal evidence, but I, I have had similar things happen just recently and it, it didn't necessarily work out well for me. Um, I haven't got a response yet from the customer, so maybe it does work out well. Uh, but the customer was unhappy with an item. They felt like it wasn't the way it was described, uh, but they're wrong. Like absolutely 100% by the facts. It was the way it was described. It was new. All of these things, they're, they're misunderstanding or they just want a discount, whatever it is. But as opposed to just telling them like, no, I'm sorry. Like even with the pictures you're showing me, this is a new item. Like you're, you're wrong. Um, instead you do what Orlando has mentioned multiple times in the podcast. I'm sorry, this didn't meet your, your expectations. Um, I'm so sorry that this was, you know, not up to your standards. Um, well, I'm, I'm more than willing to take it back, you know, for, for the trouble. Like send it back and I'll refund you fully. And a lot of times just with that, you can see if they're just trying to get the discount or maybe they'll say like, you know, what, it's not that bad and they'll keep it. But if you tell them, no, you're wrong. You're, you've just created a customer who's now going to fight you at every step of the way. You're looking at negative reviews. But when you come off and say, you don't say they're wrong, you just apologize and try and see it from their point of view. Like, oh, I could totally see maybe there is a time when when you can kind of go that route. And, and yeah, just telling them outright they're wrong is probably not going to work. No, and one of the words and phrases I use all the time, it's very possible that you you may believe that it's not new because of, you know, in the past, there may have been other scenarios that led you to believe that. You just leave it. At, I just leave it at that. But based on the fact that I was the individual that purchased it, that I was the one that shipped it, 
you know, I can guarantee you it's new. And then you leave it at that, right? You're telling them, hey, I understand why you believe what you believe, but this is why you're wrong. But you're doing it in a gentle way, right? He, he ends that chapter by saying, in other words, don't argue with your customer or your spouse or your adversary. Don't tell them they are wrong. Don't get them stirred up. Use a little diplomacy. And it's, it's true. Again, he's not saying you're not trying to show people that they're wrong, right? The whole idea is how to win friends and influence people. That means influence them to your way of thinking. But there's a process. It's not, you know, how many times have you had people come to you, whether it be, you know, in, in a business setting, in a religious setting, a marital setting, whatever it is, and they just go, this is why you're wrong. This is why I'm right. You know, you walk away going like, what was the point of that? Like, why, why did we even have this conversation? Why did that person waste their breath? Because we talked about earlier in the book, the very beginning of the book had discussed the idea that individuals take ownership in who they are and what they believe. Right. And the moment you start attacking what they believe, you're also not, not only attacking their beliefs, you're, you, they sense it as you're attacking them. Right. There's a sense of like, what an idiot or how stupid can this person be? You may not intend for that to come through, but that's what comes through when you just start telling facts because that other person goes, okay, why, why are they sharing all these facts? Like I couldn't look this up on myself. Like I couldn't come to this conclusion. And so it becomes very adversarial, but this is hard stuff. This is not easy. Like Mike, Mike, you know, is willing to self-admit, but I, I myself, you know, I haven't shown a lot on the podcast. I'm, I don't know why I'm super diplomatic on the podcast, but you know, in, in my own personal life, there are some things that I'm non-negotiable. And I'm like, no, this is why things are right. And this is why things are wrong. And yeah, I've, I've had arguments and people, I thought I won and I felt good for a moment, but then I'm like, nope, those people are going to keep believing what they're believing. And I did nothing to help them out. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the next part too, kind of goes along with that is sometimes you are the one that's wrong and just admitting it when you're wrong. And it kind of goes back to the Chris Voss book of, of the self audit and nothing disarms somebody more than being super humble or even taking the jab at yourself, right? It goes back to the old thing you were told by your parents, maybe your, you know, teachers of if you, if you make fun of yourself, the bullies can't make fun of you, right? If you kind of laugh at the thing, if you own it, if they're calling you a nickname and then you take that nickname on yourself, kind of it, it takes the sting out of it. They don't do it because they don't get that reaction anymore. And the same thing is true. If you're wrong about something, he gives examples of, of not arguing with police officers. Like if he's made a mistake or, or individuals in the anecdotal evidence, they immediately fess up. Like, I know you've already told me this. I'm sorry. I deserve the punishment. And what you're doing when you do that is you take away their need to feel important. You take away a person's need to have the authority over you because you've done that for them. And so the way for them to feel important then oftentimes is to give mercy. Same thing goes with work, right? A lot of times think about it. If, if you do something for job. Uh, at your job. I love Jocko Willink's book, uh, Extreme Ownership. It's kind of the same thing. If you go right up front to your boss and say, wow, I made a huge blunder. Like this was a mistake, man. I, I must, I must not be, you know, paying enough attention to this, this, and this, or, or whatever it is. And you own up to it right away. And you kind of take that thing out of it. Then your boss doesn't need to sit there and lecture you. They can say, no, no, no. Like, it's not that bad. Like you, you did this and this, right. And, and cause they're going to want to have something to say. And if you've already taken the the, the weapon from their hands and use it on yourself, probably in a way that's a little bit easier, right? Because you're not getting berated. Then all they have left is to try and build you up. So same thing with your customers. If you are wrong, admit it right away. If, if it's at your work, you made a mistake, admit it, make a, a, a light of it as much as you can, unless obviously it's a very serious thing. You, you wouldn't want to do that. But, you know, take away, take away the sting from it. Like, you know, I'm, you know, I know I could be a jerk at times. So if I came off as a jerk, Trust me, I get it. My wife tells me the same thing. You kind of take it, the the sting away from it. They'll laugh at it and you all move on. You know, it's interesting you bring this up. I, I was just pondering this in my 
41 years of age. Because <laughs> I, I do feel old. You know, you know why I feel older now? Like, people call me sir. And, you know, like, 10 years ago, people would call me sir. And I'd be like, what? Don't call me sir. I'm not your dad. But now I get why people call me sir. Like, I'm old. Like, the, the beard doesn't help. Right. But the, the reason I say this, because now I'm older, like I still have mentors right in my life. I've had the same mentors probably since, you know, my teenage years. Some of them I picked up along the way when I was 20 something and then a couple when I'm 30 something. But I've actually whittled down my mentors because what I've recognized is that now that I'm older and there comes a stage where you actually can be just as smart as your mentors or even smarter, like you actually know more than your mentor. Right. Maybe because of your stage in life and what you're going through. And so what it causes is this issue with me because like, what, what am I supposed to do now? Like, I, I don't really care for this person advice anymore. Like, I don't call this person whenever this person tells me something. I'm like, thanks. Appreciate that. But this has been this is why as I was reading, this is what, what it was, was that the individuals that even though I may know more than them, even though, you know, I'm not saying I'm smarter than them, but I've had more experience in certain things than that individual. The reason I listen to those people still is because they admit their mistakes. The ones that were mentors to me that never admitted like they did anything wrong or, you know, that they've messed up. Like they're, 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 there's, they're, it's so unflattering. Like it's like, so you have nothing. To, I mean, I'm 41 now. You, there has to be something by now you can tell me you did wrong. Right. And so they're able to still hold an influence on me. Those are those that are willing to admit their mistakes because I'm like, Hey, that's kind of weird. I, this whole entire time I looked up to you and now you're telling me that, actually you feel that this, this, and this, okay, I'm willing to listen. I'm willing to solve this problem. And I think it details exactly what Carnegie is talking about here. The fa fact that, Hey, if you're wrong and you made it quickly and empathetically, right. did I say that right? I feel like I said that right. No, wrong. Emphatically. Emphatically. That's what I was like hooked on phonics on that one. Like pronouncing every, every vowel. All right. So anyways, when you're able to do that, it disarms you. Like I didn't for, want to tell you were wrong. Uh, I'm okay. <laughs> okay. But I think about even in the reselling world, like how many times I can tell you, I've had people like straight up like Orlando, you are wrong. Like people I've looked up to actually, they have contacted me and say, Orlando, you're wrong. Like in DMs, like this is the way you do things, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, whatever, man, I'm done. Like, why'd you even waste your breath? But I've had other people that I look up to go, you know, Orlando, I've messed us up all the time. This is how I fixed it. And I'm like, huh. I'm willing to listen to you. Like you're willing to be transparent with me and it goes a long way. So it's the same way. Like whether you're trying to help people, like let's say you bring on helpers to help you in your eBay and Amazon business, whether you're at your workplace, whether with your own kids, whoever it is, like being able to have the power of admitting that you're wrong goes a long way as long as you're using it to solve an issue. So I thought, I thought, it was, I thought that was super short. It was like what, four pages, but there's a lot said on that one. Now this next one is really good too. We talk about this all the time on the mm. podcast, though. So what do you got there, Mike? Yeah, so the next one is is the drop of honey. And a big part of this is is the um, always trying to be friendly, right? And it makes a huge difference. If you go into, and I think we've all had this, I, I've almost never been reprimanded at work. Luckily, I, I've, I've kind of taken pride in that. But the handful of times I know I've made a mistake and I kind of have to like answer to it, um, it's... It, it, it's like kind of earth shaking because I'm, I'm automatically wanting to go on the defensive because it's like, okay, I messed up on this one thing, but I know I do this, 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 and this, right? And I want to immediately like, you know, maybe I did not send that email on time, but I also have done this, this, and this above and beyond. And so when you have a boss that pulls you in and they begin friendly, right? Hey, 
just want to say like, we really appreciate that you've done this. We really appreciate all that you've done in this area. You go way above and beyond. You're one of our best employees. And you know, I know that email went out late and that's one of the things you're really busy, right? And when you begin with a friendly tone, it, it helps to disarm the situation. It helps take uh, kind of going back to the earlier thing. One, you don't want to say you're someone's wrong, but sometimes you have to correct people. If you're in a position where you need to correct somebody uh, or you have to, you know, maybe it's a, a, a client relationship and you need to, you know, they're not getting you the product on time and it, they're not holding up their end of the, the bargain and you actually have to deal with the issue. A lot of times going at it with genuine, sincere kindness right up front disarms the situation. He talks in this chapter, I think it was just this chapter about like times when like unions were striking and the 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 people in charge of the company were able to disarm the situation by actually going to the people's houses and meeting with them and their families and then having the speech start off with saying it's such an honor to be with such amazing people and getting to know you instead of coming out and saying you know you guys are wasting time and money and that never wins anybody over right and the idea of kind of being winsome here of of being kind and that the the title of the chapter is a drop of honey right like a a drop of honey is better than than a pound of gall. You're going to catch more flies with that. And so the idea of if you can give a little bit of kindness, then your your correction is going to be better. And I think later on in a later chapter, it kind of applies the same, but I think it's really good here, is you not using the word but. You're doing a great job here, but. It's the worst. I hate it when people do that. Right? Because then the but makes everything that came before it not seem sincere. Hey, uh, want to just say we really appreciate everything you've done. Your work is great, but. Boom, right? That immediately drags you down. Everything you heard before doesn't matter. Instead, replacing it with and. Man, you, you're such a great employee. You've done everything greater. You're such a great, you know, you're providing me such great uh, stuff. And I know that um, the, the the quality of the stuff you're going to send me in the future is going to be just as good as it was before. And that this mistake that happened. So when you use and instead of but, it makes what you're saying still sound sincere. At least that's kind of what he states here. And so, you know, I think there's something to that. Those little changes, not using that word but, but trying to say, and, and I know that we can correct these, the, the mistakes that are currently happening because you're such a great employee as opposed to, but right now you're not doing so good. So using those kind of changes, coming across friendly, beginning friendly, makes a huge difference. And you know, it's, it's interesting because he moves on. So that's the easiest one. I mean, we talk about this all the time on the podcast, like be friendly, whether it's, you know, you're making a deal for wholesale, whether you're at a garage sale, whether you know, it's, I don't know, whatever you encounter individuals, like it's so easy to make things go your way by just very simple. And we talk about just even small talk, even like, Hey, how's it going? How's everything? And then just listening already begins that process of of honey. So then later when you're asking, you know, can we work out a deal? It it makes it a lot easier. It's, it's so much better than just starting off cold because usually when it's cold, the person has no interest in you, doesn't know who you are. And chance of you getting a better deal are probably not there. Now, I thought this next chapter was pretty interesting, uh, The Secret of Socrates, because he's he's using the Socratic method. So Socrates was a philosopher during the classical Greek era. And during that time, he was actually was executed uh, for questioning a lot of things. But he used uh, the, the question method to get people to arrive to truth. So instead of like we talked earlier about just stating facts, Instead of asking questions to get individuals to a place where they believe you or agree with you. And and it's very he's very big here to Carnegie states that using this Socratic method of getting people to say yes. Right. So finding kind of like a common ground. Right. So 
you know, if you're trying to make a deal with somebody saying, hey, listen, you have inventory that you want to move. I have inventory that I want to sell. Can we agree that we both have the same point here that, hey, we're both trying to be profitable in this? Sure. Okay. We both have ways that we can move this inventory. I can buy it from you and then I can sell it. So it's a win-win. Okay. Yes. All right. So how can we make this happen? And then you begin that conversation, right? And it's the same scenario. It's a yes, yes, yes. I mean, salespeople do this all the time when they call you. I mean, I, I get this all the time. They'll say, you know, are you, are you, are you uh, wanting to change uh, to a better healthcare? Yeah. Well, yes. Do you, do you want to pay less? Yes. Do you want to be able to cover everything? Well, yes. I mean, it, I don't know what sales book that comes from, but it's pretty much every salesperson's taught to do that. Yeah. If, if you get them to say yes instead of no, right? Because the moment you start with the no, and, and again, he talks about like the psychology here. Once somebody says yeah, no, like programming them. yeah. Once you, once somebody says no, walls are coming up, right? When you phrase something a certain way. And so if you can get them to say yes and agree to something, uh, and I think that even goes like we were talking earlier about politics, right? A lot of times, uh, both sides of, of the aisle are, are fighting for the, the ability to define terms, the ability to to word uh, a bill or whatever it is, because, you know, you can if you state something a certain way, you know, are you for this? And it's like, well, yes, I am. But then you got to dig down to what all those things are of how they're trying to get there. But nobody's going to say no. Right. Are, are, uh, do you want to prevent the the uh, unnecessary you know, death of school children. Well, yes, of course I want to prevent that, right? Well, then here our bill is going to do that. And immediately you're kind of on their side, even before you realize, wait, is the way they want to do it the way I agree with, right? So once somebody says yes to something, you're already on their side. And so if you can get somebody to say yes to a deal, right? Like Orlando said, do you want to move this inventory? Hey, um, are you interested in, 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 in getting rid of even more? Or are you, are you interested? What would you think if I was able to buy all of this? Right. They'd be thinking like, well, that's great. Right. And then you can work on the price because you've already got them thinking yes. Right. Like they're already thinking I've already sold all this stuff. So once they've got that, yes, they're moving towards a positive direction, which is where you want them. Yeah. No, no, don't, don't ever win. I mean, it's, it's, very, I can't even think of a scenario where it does, but yes, is definitely the way to go. Now the next chapter is, I thought is it's really tough to implement, really tough to implement. But before we do that, I want to talk about our social media and everything. But before I talk about social media, hey, I want to mention our... So before that, we're going to do this. But before that, we're 100%, going to do this. Yeah. Well, because I want everybody, if you have not signed up for buymeacoffee.com slash pure hustle, you see the overlay here on our screen, uh, please do so while I'm announcing all this social stuff. Uh, just because, hey, we're looking for certain numbers to keep us moving into the new year. And so it'd be really helpful if you're able to sign up for, uh, I think it's called a membership or a sponsorship. It's, it's the same word, basically $5 a month, less than a coffee in most parts of the country. If you think about it, right, eight episodes that you get for free anyways, but you're helping us out, right? That's less than a dollar an episode. Like really, hopefully we're able to bring more value than less than a dollar an episode. I hope so, right? Yeah, I mean, if we can't hopefully. do that, we can't do that, then we're in trouble. So anyways, please sign up for buymeacoffee.com slash pure hustle. If you haven't been following us on social media, we are on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook at Pure Hustle Podcast. We are on Twitter at Pure Hustle Cast. You could also give us a call at 619-738-1170. That's 619-738-1170. Or shoot us an email at purehustlepodcast at gmail.com. That is purehustlepodcast at gmail.com. And if you're listening to this podcast, you can hop on over to YouTube. Sometimes we drop videos. Sometimes we go live. If you hit that subscribe and that mail notification, you'll be notified when things happen. And as always, we're grateful for all the reviews. They constantly help us. And when I mean reviews, I mean iTunes reviews. Even if you're listening on Android, if you're somehow able to go get over to iTunes and write us a review, really helps us out, especially if it's a five stars. 
I think those are the ones that really help us out a lot. And as always, we are grateful for any way that you could help us out uh, monetarily, whether it be through the purchasing of our shirts, whether other merch that we may come be coming our way, or even just a you know a one time donation. Uh, all grateful, and we really appreciate all of you because so far our memberships keep going up, and it really allows us to continue to to provide value through this podcast, and hopefully in the future be able to provide more value uh, based on how things go. So, are you ready for the next chapter now? Yeah. All right. So. The safety valve in handling complaints. So I'm just going to read the first line and then I'll let you run with this one. Most pe- He says, most people trying to win others to their way of thinking do not do too much. Sorry, do too much talking themselves. Let the other people talk themselves out. They know more about their business and problems than you do. So ask them questions. Let them tell you a few things. It's really tough. Especially when you think you know the answers. Yeah, and this this is this one takes time, and and, and it's really hard to give. I mean, he gives some anecdotal examples, but um, in the, in a situation like this, the point he's trying to make is um, making the person feel like the idea is theirs, that they were the ones that came up with the idea. So they've got an issue, they've got a complaint, and you're trying to get them to the solution that you want them to uh, to get to. Right? Here's what we're gonna. You want this item for free? You want a huge discount? We're not gonna be able to do that for you. But you need to convince them that however it's going to be solved is coming from them. And that that takes a lot of practice. It takes knowing your field. Um, I heard a speaker one time say, if you're going to speak about something, you need to know 10 times more about it than you're than you're actually speaking about. That way you've got room and flexibility to maneuver as, as the, the audience changes how they're responding to things. And I think the same is true for something like this in business. You need to really know your niche and your field and what's going on in order to allow somebody to listen and maneuver them in a way where they're the ones coming up with the ideas. You're presenting them with counterfacts and ideas and letting them vent and saying like, wow, I really get that. And have you considered this part too? And as they slowly, if you can do it and, and, and manipulate them, it's like it's like slowly moving a river, right? You've got to just like inch by inch, get them to think like they've come up with the idea to get onto the path you want them on. And there's no one size fits all on how to do this. There isn't like a simple tactic other than um, let the person vent their their frustration and maneuver them, like lead them to the 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 water, right? Leading the horse to the water, and of course, the saying is, you can't make them drink. But if you're the one that leads them there, and they think they went there on their own, they're more likely to drink, right? Because they were the ones that that reached that conclusion. And the hardest part I think about this, and he mentions this in a couple of other chapters too, is let them take the credit. Maybe it's in a company. You've come up with a great idea. And if you were to just present it and say, the way you guys are doing things is wrong and we're losing money, uh, it might not come across well. But if you can present it in a way where they think they're coming up with the solution you've already come up with and they get the credit for it instead of you, that's tough. Because a lot of times we want the credit. We want to be the ones to make it seem like I came up with this. But letting them think they came up with it, if it's the results you're after and not the fame or not the credit, you can get the results by maneuvering them to find it instead of telling them what the answer is. It's interesting because, I mean, the easiest way would be like the movie Inception where you implant something in somebody's mind and they own it. Okay, anyways, haha. So yeah, that's what we do all the time. <laughs> one of the best movies of all time, by the way. All right, so chapter, and not chapters, but section six and seven of the third section of the book, right? The, the one is titled, I just mentioned it about, you know, letting people talk it through the safety valve and handling complaints. But the next chapter is, or the next section is how to get cooperation. Yeah. It's the same idea. I mean, how many times have you talked to somebody and they're adamant about something and then you say, Hey, can you just run me through the whole rationale of how you came to this conclusion? Right. And, and I've had it happen. Well, I used to do this all the time when I was a school administrator, 
I used to have parents that were adamant about stuff or students that were adamant about something. And I would say, hey, I see what you're saying. Can you just run me through everything that led you to this conclusion? And as they're going through this, you ask probing questions, you know, and, and again, not because you're trying to get them to believe in what you're saying at the moment. It's just, you're just trying to inquire. I mean, th- th- this is why it's so hard because you're not looking if, if, if you're trying to do this by just directly trying to manipulate every part of the conversation, you're, you're still going to lose. I mean, I, I've, I know myself, like I've done it where I've tried to get people like through questioning to get to a certain truth instead of waiting for them to go through the whole ordeal. And so you ask questions, you ask questions and like, oh, okay, so what exactly led to this? And as they're walking through it, they begin to see the fallacy in their ways and what they're believing. Now, Dale Carnegie does talk about later on in the book that not everything here is guaranteed to work. Okay. But I think he gives it like a 90% chance. I don't know how he came up with that number, but it, there's a very strong chance to work. And it's true. I can tell you from experience, I've had multiple times where instead of getting into a major conflict, I just had somebody tell me the story. And then at the end, they're like, you know, I don't even know why I'm here. I have no, no recollection of, you know, why exactly I was so mad because now that I'm sharing this with you, I think it was just a knee jerk reaction, or I think something triggered me or something happened. And he says this on page 157, Dale Carnegie says, letting the other person feel that the idea is his or hers, not only works in business and politics, it works in family life as well. And so through all, all avenues, right? Sometimes you may have, you may have a spouse that's really upset about something and they think you did them wrong, but you know, you didn't. Hey, explain to me everything that went on. And hopefully, you know, I'm, this is a marriage counseling, by the way, not at all. Disclaimer on the bottom, whatever. But, but they can come to a conclusion going, you know what? Okay. Maybe it's not as bad as I had it out to be now that I'm saying it out loud. Right. You're, you're, you're actually like taking the life out of the anger or that emotion. And you're bringing in facts by having somebody retell the story of how they came to a certain conclusion. So I think it's, I, I think it's great. I think it's hard though. Listen, like when you know you're right, you want to let people know you're right and how you're right. At least that's how I am. Like I, I struggle, struggle listening because listening actively means you're not even trying to think of the next word you're going to say. You're actually like trying to put yourself in the perspective of that individual. And it's the same thing in business, whether you're again, garage sale, wholesale deal, I know brokering between companies. It's the same scenario. So pretty tough. Yeah, that's good. And it kind of leads into the next section too with um, uh, the next part is a formula that will work wonders for you. And the idea is trying to see things from their point of view. And if you're like me, and I think 99.999% of people are like this, um, you before you go into something where you know there's going to be potential conflict, you've already run through the conflict in your head. You've already worked out when they say this, I'm going to say this back. And when they do this, I'm going to do this. And you've already figured out how you're going to win. It's like you're playing chess with yourself, right? You've already planned out all of your moves. And when they do this, I'm going to do this. Now, what's the best way to disarm them? Going to that, some of our earlier principles and, and this, instead be friendly, listen to what they have to say. And then um, this chapter um, basically says, try and put yourself in their shoes. So when they say things to you, instead of reacting with your best move, right? Whatever, like going back to that chess analogy, instead of doing that, they've said this to me, well, I've got the perfect counterattack. Well, chances are they've already thought through, well, as soon as I say this, they're going to say this in return. Instead you go, wow, I, I really, I, I understand why you're feeling that way. If I was in your shoes, I'd feel this is the same way going through this. And like, I, I understand how you're frustrated that the shipment took so long. Or I understand immediately they haven't prepared for that response, right? Boom. Now all of a sudden you're on an even playing field. They, they don't have 
they feel heard, they feel appreciated, and they don't know how to respond to this. Now, all of a sudden, the, the conversation has calmed. The emotions have kind of cooled out. And maybe you just have to let them vent. You've got to let them explain what they're, they have to say and really do put yourself in their shoes. Because here's the thing. I've said this for a long time. This is maybe like a messed up thing to say. Uh, but but the reality is, if, if you think of, this is really messed up. I'm sorry, guys. Are but you sure you want to share I'm going to share it. Okay. Uh, but um, if you think about it, the spectrum of IQ or intelligence or 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 just social intelligence, if you look at it on a scale, there's going to be um, a, a middle, right? Like what the middle is, an average. And that's where most people are, which means if 50% of the population is going to be below that, right? So you're dealing with people who really might not be thinking, especially when it comes to business, right? When you're dealing with customers, sometimes you see people at stores, the, the common one right now is like the Karens, right? And things like that. And you see certain people who you're like, wow, well, those are going to be your customers. But if you really put yourself in their shoes and try and say like, okay, if I grew up the same way they did, if I had the, 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 the life that they had, if I was experiencing what they're experiencing, probably there's other things going on. And you put yourself in their shoes and you feel what they're feeling, even if you know they're wrong, they're not really being wronged in a situation they feel that they are. But you, you put yourself in their position and you, you feel like you're them. You put yourself in their shoes. They're going to feel heard. And maybe you'll have a little bit more sympathy or empathy for them. And that's going to help you maybe even make decisions you might not normally make. Maybe it's not, you know, the best decision in this case, but you're like, you know what, and what they're going through, this might make a long-term customer. If I can help them here, give them a little bit of discount where I wouldn't normally give them a discount, but I understand where they're really hurting or feeling like they've been hurt here. I might win a long-term, like he gave in an earlier example of, of a customer who's trying to return something that was a final sale. Well, According to the store policy, couldn't do that return. This person is irate. They're upset. They're in the wrong because, you know, that their situation, they couldn't return it. But the manager did the return anyways. Why? Well, they they put themselves in their shoes. Can you imagine what it'd be like to buy something? Yeah, it was final sale, but hey, there was something actually wrong with it. You know, well, you can win a long-term customer by eating the cost one time, right? Putting yourself in their shoes. How would I feel? Yeah, it's final sale for, for the store, but but you might win a long-term customer. So yeah, putting yourself in their shoes is going to help on a lot of levels. We wanted to take a quick moment to thank our sponsors for this episode. Hey, everyone. Ever found yourself too busy to list or wanting to scale and not knowing how? Well, we've partnered with a great service called Sellhound. They will help you do much of the heavy lifting and can benefit your business in many ways. Sign up for listing services with Sellhound and receive 25% off your first purchase or 25% off your first month of a Sellhound monthly subscription. You can do this by using our promo code, all in caps, PureHustle25. That's the numbers, 25. By the way, everyone gets three free listings to try out before any purchases. Just go to sellhound.com and subscribe using our promo code, purehustle 25. So Orlando and I are always looking out for tools and programs that can be used in our own reselling to help improve our sales uh, and things that we can share with the community in order to help others. Uh, And we've been lucky enough to partner with two companies here at the same time uh, that we think do just that. So it's kind of interesting because both of these companies are competition. So, uh, you know, but this is a good thing that we're advertising both, I feel, because we are really, really big on letting you make decisions and not saying like, this is the way you should do things because you know, you know, what's best for your model of selling and what you need to be doing. Uh, so we've been able to partner with list perfectly and Vindu. And both of these are programs that can be used to cross list postings on multiple platforms. 
This is great because we always talk about the importance of being on multiple platforms and not putting all of your eggs into one basket. But one of the barriers to that is the time issue. And the nice thing with List Perfectly and Vindu is it allows you to make one listing that then gets cross-posted to multiple platforms. So you're not having to post things multiple places and spend that time. And in this case, that time saved is money you're making. So both of these companies have a special offer for our listeners if you were to sign up. Um, you need to sign up using the affiliate links that we have in our descriptions or show descriptions in order to get the uh, promotional codes. Uh, so first of all, is List Perfectly. They're giving 30% off your first month, which is amazing. And they've got some incredible things that they they offer. So uh, for instance, your postings go to eBay, they go to Mercari, Depop, Grail, Etsy, Poshmark. There's just so many. You got to check it out. There's almost too many to list here. Um, and so if you sign up, you get 30% off, but you have to use our... our link and then use the code LP30. And then the other one is Vindu. Vindu is very similar. Uh, you're going to get 25% off your first month if you use our affiliate link. You don't have to use a promo code. Just click on the link in the description. Uh, and your your listings are going to go to eBay. They're going to go to Etsy. They're going to go to Poshmark. They're going to go to Mercari. So this is just a great opportunity for you to save some time, get on multiple platforms, and maybe make some more money. And I think it cuts both ways though too. I think we have the assumption, like sometimes we have an assumption we'll run across somebody and we think that we're smarter than them when actually we're the idiots. <laughs> we don't recognize that. I mean, I can't, I, I tell you, the older I get, I used to be so judgmental in my 20s and 30s thinking I knew better than everybody else, that I was smarter than this person, that da 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 da. But as I get older, like I, I begin to realize, like, no, that's, that, that is not the case. There are some people that are just better at other things than me. And there's something that may be better, but it's not a intelligence thing. It's an experience thing. Or it's, you know, basically there's several factors that led to that scenario. And so I, I always caution, like, give everyone the benefit of the doubt, right? I'm, I, I used to be very much about people need to earn my trust first. I'm very much of now, no, I trust them. And then when they break my trust, then things change because, it's very easy to live in judgment of people all the time, but in the end, you don't get very, very, you know, you don't get very far. You don't influence a lot of people that way because what ends up happening is you begin to polarize. And so he says this in here, you know, in the very beginning of that section, he says, remember that other people may be totally wrong, but they don't think so. Don't condemn them. Any fool can do that. And it's true, right? It's easy to condemn people. Try to understand them, right? Only wise, tolerant, exceptional people even try to do that. And, it, and it, it is so true. I mean, even if you look, you know, religious leaders from different, if you go back to Jesus and Christianity, if you go back to other leaders of other religions, some of the conversation is like, hey, understanding what others are going through. And as you understand what others are going through, you can have a better conversation, right? Put yourself in the shoes of others. Uh, and so he says this and on page 165, he says, if as a result of reading this book, you'll only get one thing, right? So this is pretty important that he says this. Right. If you get one thing from a book. So Dale Carnegie saying this, it's something we should highlight an increased tendency to think always in terms of the other person's point of view and see things from that person's angle as well as your own. If you get only that one thing from this book, you only get that one thing. It may easily prove to be one of the stepping stones of your career. And it is so, so true. I mean, the, the people that we love as leaders, most of the time, there are people that are somehow able to be empathetic. And we talk about this with Chris Voss, right? One of the biggest ways to be able to negotiate is empathy, 
right? See things from the other person's perspective. And then you're able to use a language and have a discussion that's able to get you a better deal than instead of you only seeing your angle and what you get from it, trying to see the other angle and why they're going to go a certain way. And then you can maneuver better. So very, very big, very big. But again, it's so, it's so hard, especially if you're dealing with people with different worldviews, if you're dealing with people that have a different upbringing, if you're dealing with people that are different politically than you, it's a very tough thing, but it is a very valuable skill. So then we go to the next part, uh, what everybody wants. He says, uh, I don't blame you one iota for feeling as you do. If I were, I would undoubtedly feel just as you do. So it's kind of the same thing again. Yeah. The next couple of chapters kind of all, all align with that same idea of, of people want sympathy and people want to feel heard and people want to feel valuable. I think hardwired into us is, and, and you mentioned in an earlier podcast that social dilemma, uh, you know, documentary. Oh yeah. yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. I finally ended up, you should watch on Netflix. It's pretty scary. It's, it's, it's an incredible documentary. Um, and I, I also listened to the guy who put that documentary together. He was on the Joe Rogan podcast. I listened oh, that's to right, that. That's right, that yeah. interview is really good. Um, but one of the things they talked about on there, and I think it's true is we are hardwired to be accepted by our tribe. And we live in a world that's so interconnected now that our tribe is literally tens of thousands, millions of people. It's like we get some, we want to get likes. And when we get dislikes and we get negative comments, like we, we feel that and it hurts and everybody wants to feel validated. Everybody wants to feel special. And so the next couple of chapters really just kind of hit on that ways that we can um, find to appeal to them and, and to connect to, 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 to the sympathy of what they're feeling, what they're going through and make them feel valuable. If you can make somebody feel valuable, you've already won the battle because that's really what they want. I mean, of course, we look at 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 you know the Maslow's hierarchy of needs and things like that. Like people see those things and it's like, okay, well, what are people after? Well, people want food and safety and all of these things. But but really, under underneath all of that, in our culture today, most of those things are met for ninety nine percent of people. Right? People have food. People have shelter. People have you know, all of these basics met. So what is the next thing that underlying thing is, is a need to feel appreciated and valued and for people to, to value them. And so if you can be that for somebody, um, it's going to make a huge difference and, um, moving into, and of course, if you want to go back and, and talk about, um, more of that. Well, I just want to share that one example by John D Rockefeller. I thought it was great. So there was a scenario where he didn't want pictures of his kids being shown in the newspaper. And Rockefeller was a he was a genius. I mean, that, that guy knew how to talk to people and how to run business, obviously. Now, probably one of the richest men ever. And he, he, he shares, Dale Carnegie shares the story that when John D. Rockefeller wished to stop newspaper fo- photographers from snapping pictures of his children, he too appealed to the nobler motives, right? So you're looking, you're looking at people that they want better, right? Not that they're, like I said before, trust people until they break your trust, right? And it's, you know, with everyone, right? You're, you're wishing the best of integrity. Now, obviously there's clear examples, right? You're not, there's certain people that you, you shouldn't trust because right off the bat, it's pretty obvious, right? But for the most part, for the most part, right? Unless you're part of a crime organization, you know, you're, you're going to run into people you can trust, right? And so he says, you know, John D. Rockefeller didn't want pictures uh, to be shown in the newspaper. So he appealed to their noble motives. He didn't say, I don't want their pictures published. Right. He could have done that. But again, straight facts. Right. He's just giving facts. I don't want this. That's it. Instead, he says, no, he appealed to the desire deep in all of us to refrain from harming children. He said, you know how it is, boys, you've got children yourselves, some of you, and you know, it's not good for youngsters to get too much pub- publicity. Right. And it's same. it's appealing. Right. You know, whether it be a mother, a father, a business person. Right. Even as a reseller. Right. You can both agree like. 
hey, listen, we're both in business. We hate getting ripped off, right? And we both want to make a deal. I, I see this all the time when I go, go to, when I go to garage sales. Even though I 100% always say there is no definition for the word fair, I always tell them, hey, we both want to walk away like we got a fair deal, correct? And so that can be interpreted to them that they sold something for $2 instead of $1, right? For me, it's like, hey, it has to be you know, that one or $2. Now, some people might look and go, you ripped off that person. But no, I didn't rip off that person at the garage sale. That's what they were looking for. That was fair to them. And for fair to me was to get that low price. But in the end, right, I appealed to their motive, right? Their motive was to move inventory, to get it at a certain price and to feel that they were fairly treated. Yeah. And if you're a kind of person that maybe... Maybe you do reselling a little different than we do. And I think even our garage sale style of reselling could work for, for this. But a lot of what we do, there's noble cause to it, right? Like, yeah, we're trying to to take care of our family. You can appeal to that to, with people, right? Like, this is a great way that I'm able to support my family. Another way you can appeal to, to somebody's nobler values, besides just the base, like how much money they're going to get from this. Maybe you buy used furniture and you repurpose it, or you buy items and you you paint it and you change it and you upcycle, right? And you can appeal to that nobler value of people and you can tell them like, oh, I love this piece. Can I get it for this price? If they say no, you know, it's too much. You can tell them like, oh man. And you give them your vision. Like I'm going to make a, I'm going to turn this surfboard into a coffee table. And I love taking things that are going to end up in the trash or not being valued by people and making it something that, that people will enjoy. Now, all of a sudden you're appealing to their, their desire to, to see something not just thrown in the trash, but to be upcycled and, and to make a difference in somebody's life. And so when you can appeal to those things, it makes a huge difference. Um, I like the next two chapters. The next two chapters uh, talk about uh, dramatizing uh, your situation. And the other one is um, competition. So those two things are, are different, but I think we can kind of talk because they're they're almost weird at the end of these kind of like, well, try this and try this. Yeah, these were these were hard though. Yeah. yeah. So so dramatizing is like, make it make it really obvious. And and one of those things could be, you know, showing the cash on the, on the, the, the table, let's say you're, and he gives an example of somebody, which is like just throwing cash on the table. Yeah. So he gave an example of, of people were, were mocking a newspaper saying that they were more advertisement than like valuable information. And so that newspaper actually printed a hardbound book of like one day's worth of what they post or what they print. And it's like a full size novel of what we do of actual content every single day. And we only charge pennies for it instead of the, the several dollars that a novel would cost. And so kind of turning it into like everybody saw that and they made it where you could actually see it. And the same thing might be true if you're doing a deal with somebody. You can make it obvious like this is how much you can buy with this much money or actually pulling out the money like I'll give you $50 for this. And if they're like, oh, I don't know, and you start pulling out the cash right then and they see it, you've, you, you're, you're dramatizing and you're, you're appealing to that nature inside of them. You're making it a show. You're kind of and this might be a little bit more challenging, but I like the idea of competition. This might work if you've got helpers and you could say like, uh, he gave an example of a night shift and a day shift at a, I think it was like a coal mine or something like that, or a plant doing something. And the one person said, the, the the shift manager said, like, I can't get them to produce any more than they're producing. And so the owner walks in and he says, how many units did you make today? And they said six. And so he did a chalk six on the ground and he walked away. And then when the night shift came in, they're like, what's that six? Well, the day shift did six units. So then that night they raced the six and they put a seven because they did seven units. So the day shift came in and said like, well, I'm not going to be beat by them. And so they did 10 units that day. And that section, that part of the, the company was producing more than it ever had. And it was through appealing to competition. So if you can think of ways you can appeal to people, I think competition is a really good way. Um, maybe if you've got kids, I do this in the classroom all the you time. Do, you do it all the time when you negotiate. Do you do this when you negotiate like car insurance or like? 
your electricity bill or your cable bill. What you said, well, this people over here will give me this deal. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I mean, all, all, I mean, I dread every time like my cell phone contract ends, but it's the time where you bring the competition in. Mm-hmm. Right. And I dramatize it too a little bit. I actually, I'll call and I'll say, Hey, listen, I, and, and what I do is I don't just go to the regular. I'm like, Hey, I want to cancel my line. Like, I don't even, I'm like, just get me to, I want to cancel my service. And I go to the very last, and usually it's weird because the people at the end, they're good. Like they, they probably influence me and win me every time because I've never, I've been, for example, I've been with Sprint probably for two decades and I walked away for like two years, but it was unrelated to whether Sprint had my, now Sprint doesn't have great service, right? I think they actually brag about that. Don't they in their commercials? Like they're like 4% slower than everybody else or something like that. But why, why? Why pay more when you have almost the same service for less money? I think that's their advertising, which I think is genius, right? Because I, you know, I get frustrated, especially when I'm scanning stuff on my phone for Amazon. And I'm like, I have no service. Like, this is garbage. I need AT&T. But here's the deal. I call them and I say, hey, here's here's the deal. I've talked to AT&T. I've talked to, I think, yeah, I've talked to Verizon. This is what they're giving me. Are you able to do anything better to keep me, you know, loyal? I've been here 20 years. I I, I don't want to walk away, but I, I need you to sell me on this. And it's funny because he will sell you this. Okay, listen, I mean, I can look at your bill, da, 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 da. And then you can go, you can, you can try to pull the trigger. Sometimes I pull the trigger. I'm like, no, I'm just going to cancel. And I've actually had people just say, okay. And they call my bluff. And they're like, and then I call later. I'm like, oh, never mind. I wasn't going to cancel. That happened actually twice, but, but they're, they're willing to work out a better deal. Right. And the dramatic fashion is like, I'm wanting to cancel now. I'm not, I'm not saying that works every single time, but it's the same thing with, you know, when I have my cable bill and my contract is up, I say, Hey, this is what, you know, this, this company can offer me in comparison to this company. Is there anything we can do to make this better? And usually they want to compete. They want your service. So yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely a great tactic to make it a competition and to dramatize it. Right. And say, Hey, I actually am willing to get more of a service if I'm able to get more of a deal. Doesn't mean you agree to more of a service. You're saying you're willing to. So you put all the stops and then you retract when it comes to the final closure of the deal and you're able to get a better deal. So, so try it out. I'm not saying it always works. I've had a couple of times where they call my bluff, but most of the time, there's a reason why I've been, you know, sprint for so long. Yeah. And there's a, there's a, uh, a good point he makes later on in this. Cause you said 90% of the time these things work. He said at one point, but uh, at another point he actually says, maybe these things don't work all the time. And in fact, if they only work 10% of the time, you're now 10% more effective ah, and efficient that too. than yeah. before, you know? So a 10% difference makes all the difference in the world. And even going back to an earlier quote that he said about, you know, admitting you're wrong or recognizing that, that maybe the other person is wrong, but if you were right 55% of the time on everything, you'd be a multimillionaire in the stock market, right? Like you would, you would be, you would, you could never fail at business if you were right 55% of the time. And so the reality is most of us are actually wrong more often than, than we think or recognize. And so just knowing those things, knowing those numbers, like a 10% difference can make all the difference in the world. So if applying these things gets you 10% better deals or, or, or helps you win 10% of the time, man, that's, that's worth its weight in gold right there. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Now, this next section is is interesting. It's so it's a leadership section. Yeah. Uh, 
and there's some good things. Yeah, I was gonna say maybe we maybe we kind of each just go through a couple of the the main highlights we had in this section instead of going chapter by chapter because it's a little bit different, aimed specifically towards leadership. And so yeah, if you're a CEO of a company or you're a manager, uh, but for the typical reseller, like I think there's points we can take out of this, or you're probably a leader in some aspect of your life, but it's not quite as uh, as relevant. So maybe I, yeah, we can I each- thought I thought there was a lot. Again, when we share this podcast, the reason we like doing this podcast because yeah, it's very reseller focused. But this can apply to several aspects of your life, right? I mean, this could be about your leadership in the home. This could be your leadership at your work. This could be your leadership on the softball team. I mean, wherever you want it to be. So he starts right away with, and I think this is one that, you know, I I would say this one I do really well, but you got to be careful about how you do this because you can come off really disingenuous. So he says, basically, you have to, Right. Point out the very good things about an individual. Right. The the best attributes. And then you begin to point out what needs to change. Right. And what needs to happen. And it's like you said earlier, instead of using the word but. Right. Because everybody hates that when you're like, you're so good at this. But and it's like, what? OK, why, why even waste your breath? Why don't you just get to the point? But if somebody says, hey, you're so good at this and it'd be incredible if you're able to do this and this and this. People are more motivated, right, to move in that direction. And it's the same deal. I mean, this does apply to reselling in the sense that if, you know, if somebody gives you a great deal and you can say, hey, that's a really great deal. And it'd be even better if we could da 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 instead of saying, but it would be better. I mean, the, the whole word actually changes the whole conversation. But he says he's talking about uh, this individual that, uh, well, actually, not this individual, President Calvin Coolidge, which... We don't know a lot about Calvin Coolidge, hence the nickname Selling Cal. Actually, he was probably one of the presidents that just functioned as a president, meaning he didn't he didn't do much. <laughs> he just he was just there in the country he functioned. This was like right after uh, we dealt with the Roaring Twenties and all that, and then said uh, actually right after World War One. And he says his method is probably a bit obvious, but the psychology was superb. It is always easier to listen to unpleasant things after we have heard some praise of our good points, and that's true. I mean, do you, I don't know. There's a part of me that likes that and doesn't like that. Do you like when people like, you know, boost you and then they drop it on you after? I mean, it's got to be done right. Again, it comes down to do you feel valuable? Like if you if 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 you can be made to feel like you're really, really valuable and there's ways like we know you're really great at this. And so we'd love if your enthusiasm and excitement can help us in this area of the business. It's very different than you're just not helping at all in this area. Why aren't you a team player? So there's a way of doing it. And in a later chapter, one of the the points he makes is how to spur people to success. And I think they're kind of connected in this, what you were talking about. And it's um, giving people praise for their improvements. And here's where I maybe have a little bit of pushback. I think there's absolute value to this, but I also think it can be overused. And he gives the example of um, many, many famous writers or successful people in life who were they had, um, maybe they were insecure about something. They didn't feel confident about their ability to succeed. And it was by one or two people recognizing potential in them, singing their praise, telling them that, Hey, I see something in you, which gave them the desire to move forward. And the idea with this is in a leadership perspective, let's say you have a, a kid and they're struggling in a, in a subject instead of, um, you know, telling them like, you know, how bad they're doing in math or English or science, praise their their improvements. Wow, 
you got, you know, last week you got a, a 50 on your test, but you're up to a 58. Like that's an 8% improvement. If you keep this up and you, you praise them instead of just belittling them, they're going to be more willing to move forward. And the same goes for an employee, a teammate, a, a coworker. If you can praise their improvements, um, they're going to be, you almost force them to do more. So he gives another example of, of um, somebody who's like a janitor, right? And they needed he needed this person in the, in this dentist's office to do more cleaning. So instead of, instead of telling them you're not cleaning this good enough, it's, we are so grateful for all the cleaning you do. You do such a great job. And if it'd be helpful because you're so amazing, like if you need more time to spend extra time on this item and this item, like on, on one-off times for special cleaning, we'll pay for that. That person just did it without getting extra payment. They just, they just did it because they realized like, Hey, this person thinks I'm great. And they, they can see if you can praise somebody for their improvements, they'll, they'll typically on their own, they seek after that that praise. And he even says like animals are a good example. When you train an animal, when they do what you want and you give them the treat, they're more likely to do it as opposed to if you're always just punishing them for bad behavior. Now, where I push back against this a little bit is I worry that that mentality for a long time, uh, we've talked in the past about the idea of like growth mindset versus fixed mindset, I think has in some ways created the fixed mindset for some people of you're always great. I'm always just going to praise you for what you're doing good actually makes them feel like they can't take risks because they're afraid of losing that praise. They're afraid of, of failure. Instead of telling some, sometimes going back to the fixed mindset, growth mindset, a great example that gets used is, is a student who, or a, a young child who is trying out for like a dance performance and they lost their performance and they didn't make the team. So instead of just praising them, it's, well, the person who made the team practice harder than you did. And if you want to make it, you're going to have to practice just as hard as they did or more. And so <laughs> you're saying that works. Well, and, and that does not work. Well, that's the whole idea of the fixed mindset versus growth mindset. That's what no. they say. So, so I mean, I, I listened to one of her interviews where she did a specific interview and she gave that example of if you always tell people, you always praise people. If, if somebody didn't make not, the team, not that that doesn't work, but that language doesn't work. Do you get what I'm saying? No, but she, she would argue that it, that that's exactly the language you need. So for instance, if you had a child who tried out for a team, they, they lost instead of telling them you're so great. Everybody gets a trophy. Everybody wins. Oh, I agree. I disagree with that. That's so, not good. So the, the opposite is, Hey, you didn't win this time. You know, maybe praise the things they did well, but if you want to win, you're going to have to, to Oh yeah, to yeah. I'm agree with that. Yeah. So that, that's, I think the first way you worded it was like, they just worked harder than you. Yeah. They worked harder than you. Same but thing. You got to word it like the, the way you deliver that message has to be a certain way. Oh, I, 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 I but, but that's the thing is I think we're, we're ingrained with this idea that we have to always build people up, that someone's self-esteem is the most important. It's, it's super important. But I, I but I feel like the self-esteem movement is what's caused so many of the problems that we have in our, our culture and society today where people are they, they see themselves as valuable before they've necessarily well, earned it's, it. it's i think it's the problem is it's not it's not the fact that you know praising somebody is wrong it's if it's when it's disingenuous when it's not authentic right so and, and just hear me out here so he talks about here he says uh um the idea of making things you know palatable so like somebody can take the criticism right because you're praising them Right, right off the bat. So you're praising them, but you're praising them for what they are genuinely good at. You're not making up stuff. You're not, you know, telling them anything that isn't true. And then you are pointing out, here's some things that you could be better. And so I don't know, I haven't talked with you about this, but I think it'd be great if we can use Grit as our next book. Have you ever read Grit? Mm -hmm. It's such a good book. And and in Grit, Angela Duckworth, I, I recommend everybody. I, I a lot of educators have read that book, but it's a book that will help you. It explains why resellers can become multimillionaires 
and never go to high, finish high school or college. 100% explains it. Like if you ever want to know why some people are able to be so successful and be entrepreneurs and not go through formal education, Grit 100% explains it. And this is what Angela Duckworth says. In Grit, she mentions the idea of like, instead of praising people and saying, hey, you're so smart or you're so talented. It's like, no, you worked really hard. You put in the hours that was necessary to do this great job, you know, doing everything that was necessary to get you here. Right. So it's kind of, we're talking about the same thing, yeah. right? You're letting that kid that lost yeah. at the end saying, Hey, you lost, but it's just because that in the other individual, maybe put in a, a little bit more effort than you. Right. They put in, it's kind of like right now, you know, it's, it's this phenomenon. Like when people go from junior high to high school in sports, man, we're talking about so much education, but you know, in junior high, like everybody feels like they can play a certain sport. And then when you get to high school, depending on the high school you go to, like you really begin to separate yourself. Right. And then when you go to college, it's like, it's not like anybody can just walk on. Mm -hmm. Right. It takes people that have dedicated hours. Right. And if you go to pro, it's like thousands and thousands of hours. Right. And so, the authenticity is like, hey, you're good at what you do, but this person is going to make it because not because, you know, maybe you have less talent than them, but because they have 10,000 hours ahead of you on something and you need to get to that level. Right. Does that make sense? I think we're saying the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. We're saying the same thing. And I think, again, the idea of 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 self-worth, I, I don't feel like you just destroy people in, in the sense of destroying people, but, but even with this, the how to win friends and influence people, I think, I think, I think there's a lot of truth to, and success that you can get from implementing most of these strategies. I just think long-term, like even, um, like raising my, my son, uh, some of these principles, I think I'll apply. Absolutely. I think they're, they're, they're strategic and other things though. I just think in general, I think we, we had a culture maybe 20 years ago where, where everybody was praised or 10 years ago, where everybody was praised all the time. Nobody was basically told that they, um, that, that the mistakes or the things that are going wrong in their life are potentially their fault. And so you end up with very frail, fragile people. And so I think that, I think that building that grit, um, sometimes in the long run, you got to build that relationship. If you're, if you're a manager of a team, you, they do need to know that, that you've got their best in mind that you, that they can trust you. Or if you're, you've got some helpers and, and you're doing different things to make them work in your business, however you want them to work. But I think ultimately, if you want to see someone's success, uh, you, you need to push them to do their best. And there's ways of doing that. And I, one thing that I worry about is just giving lots and lots of praise all the time might be a short-term fix. I think sometimes people need to hear the hard truths of, if you want to reach this level, yeah, you do need to do this much. And, and it's not that you're not capable or, or worthy, but you just, you don't just get it right off the bat. You have to earn certain things. And so I, I do think that, um, just giving praise can lead to, uh, a, a self-esteem movement that actually is harmful where people, where people are afraid to fail because they've kind of almost been taught that failure is bad as opposed to encouraging them, take risks, be willing to fail, and then pick yourself up and learn from those. And I'm going to correct you and show you where you made some mistakes. I'll come alongside you and help you. Uh, but you've got to, you've got to push forward. You got to keep working. You got to keep trying harder. And, and so I think I, I, again, I'm not like strongly saying I disagree with what he's saying here. I, I definitely agree that these are helpful principles. I just think that you can pendulum swing too far. You can pendulum swing to where all you're doing is praising your employees all the time or praising your team. And maybe that works to make them try harder, but maybe at some point you need to actually come in and say, Hey, as a team, we failed at reaching our goals this, this quarter because of these things. 
and maybe hear the things we did well. But if we want to succeed, we have to do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. I mean, I, I can anecdotally, I can tell you from my experience, like pointing out the flaws in even as an administrator or even in my own kids has not worked. It just hasn't. It's like, it's, it's like, they're like, why, why even try? Why even bother? Right. And, you know, I, I have some pretty rigid kids. <laughs> they're pretty rough, but you know, I, I like the example Dale Carnegie gives in here. He says, he's talking about this place where, um, there are these individuals that he wanted this, 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 I'll read it real quick. It's easier. So John rings plow of Rocky mountain, North Carolina, and uses dealing with his children. It seemed that in so many families, mother and dad, dad's chief form of communication with the children was yelling at them, which I, I think it's, I, th I think there's different worlds in America. Right. And I think there's different examples. There's some parts where people yell all the time and there's others that don't. I know me growing up, my parents were super positive all the time. I, I did no wrong in, in my parents' eyes. I mean, my dad was real with me, but my mom, like, God bless her and I love her, but I never did anything wrong. But I think it worked to my benefit because I've never believed I cannot accomplish something. And I've always been able to pick myself up regardless of my scenario. So he said that it seemed that in so many families, mother and dad's chief form of communication with the children was yelling at them. And so in many cases, the children became a little worse than the better for each session. And so did the parents. There seemed to be no end in sight for the problem. Mr. Ringlespot, I wish he used a different name. <laughs> I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. Determined to use some of his principles he was learning in our course to solve the situation. He reported, we decided to try praise instead of harping on their faults. Again, so this is already setting up the context of like, that's all that's happening. It, there's no, there's no praise happening at all. So it's a different conversation than what you're having. So this is a scenario where you're trying to, you're trying to get people motivated who've always been unmotivated because all they get is negativity. So it wasn't easy when all we could see were the negative things were they were doing. It was really tough to find things to praise. We managed to find something and within the first day or two, some of the really upsetting things they were doing quit happening. Then some of the other faults began to disappear. They began capitalizing on the praise we were giving them. They even began to go out of their way to do things right. Neither of us could believe it. Of course, they didn't last forever, right? We talked about this, but the norm reached after things leveled off was so much better. It was no longer necessary to react the way we used to. The children were doing far more right things than wrong ones. All this was a result of praising the slightest improvements in the children rather than condemning every thing they did wrong. And I, but I, I see your point. I mean, everybody's different. There's some people that do better with negative reinforcement, right? If you tell me that, like, you know, if you don't get this done by this time, you owe me like, you know, lunch next time. I'm I don't want to pay for your lunch, so I'm going to get it done. Right. And then there's there's other people. It's like, hey, if you get this right, here's the reward. And people are willing to go for that reward. So I think it's different. But, you know, what he's arguing is like, Praise is still a good thing when you're trying to win over, right? When you're trying to win friends and influence people. It's the goal of the book. All right. What else did you get from these sections anymore? Um, no, I mean, I think, I think, uh, it kind of, those principles that we talked about kind of cover the, the most valuable stuff. I mean, uh, he does also talk about, um, the importance of, of he, one of the chapters is give a, go a dog a good name. Uh, and, and it kind of goes along with everything we were talking about is if you can, if you can make somebody feel like, their name is valuable, that they're not losing their reputation because that's what people are going to protect more than anything. And so think about that. Um, if you're, if you're a team member at a job, right, you, you work at a company, other people's reputations are important to them. So if you can 
let people save face, if you can let them feel like they still have their reputation at the end, they're more likely to come to your side, especially in that first one of, of don't try and win the argument, right? You can have the right kinds of, of moves towards uh, a, a positive direction if you don't try to belittle somebody and cause them to lose their reputation. And so, I mean, just thinking about those things and and how does that work with reselling? Well, I mean, it's, it's a little bit, you know, it, it, I don't know if it's a direct <laughs> correlation, but um, I, I think all of these things of just how to interact with people makes a huge difference with how you're interacting with clients, how you're interacting with uh, customers, how you're interacting with people you're negotiating with and with the people in your life. And none of these things are, are easy. None of these things happen quickly. And I think you have to slowly implement one or two uh, virtues at a time. Like if you don't have a virtue, you basically you fake it until you make it. And eventually it becomes more a part of who you are. And so I know this is an area I can grow on a lot. Um, I, I'm easily annoyed by other people. And so recognizing that, hey, I'm not the end all be all. I'm not always right. And um, other people's life and, and experiences are going to be different than mine. And so just because they see things in a different way, um, and maybe they are wrong. Maybe I am right. But recognizing that there's other times when I'm wrong. And when I am wrong, when people bring those things up to me, how do I prefer they do it? There are ways with that, that are loving and there are ways where I can look back and say, man, that was a good friend who brought that to my attention as opposed to other people who you just, you know, if you're embarrassed at the end of an argument, like, man, I was really proven wrong. You're not going to ever have a good interaction with that person again. Right. Or it's going to be hard to build that relationship back up. So just think about how you're interacting with people and make small, slow changes in your life. Implement one or two of these principles as much as you can. And if it makes a 10% difference in your business, it's a win. Oh, hundred percent. And I, I will, we'll end it with this last quote in under the make the fault seem easy to correct because so we've, we shared this in other books, how we have an ability to catastrophize, right? Think worst case scenario, but it actually is never worst case scenario. Right. I mean, I, how many Q4s have I had that I'm like, I'm going to lose a ton of money. And in the end I didn't lose a ton of money or how many times did I say, you know, there's no way that I can ever get out of this and I've gotten out of it. Right. Because it's definitely a perspective and mindset. Now there is reality that sets in. I mean, Mike, I, I, what I appreciate about our podcast is that Mike brings reality and I have a very, like, everything can be fixed mindset. <laughs> like, I, I, I don't know why I've just always been built that way. I don't take a lot of things seriously. I guess when you go through a lot, you're kind of just like everything, everything can be conquered. Everything can be, can be done. You can fix everything, not perfectly, but you can at least bring it back to a state of, you know, breathing <laughs> or something. So he says here, he's talking about, you know, tell your children, your spouse or your employee that he or she is stupid or dumb at certain something has no gift for it and is doing it all wrong. And you have destroyed almost every incentive to try to improve, but use the opposite technique. Be liberal with your encouragement. Make the thing seem easy to do. Let the other person know that you have faith in his ability to do it, that he has an undeveloped flair for it. And he will practice until the dawn comes in the window in order to excel. Right. And the ultimate goal, right, is to get other individuals, right, to believe that you're on their side, that you're empathetic towards them, and that you're not just trying to win a battle, but you're trying to make them better by being better yourself. And with that, you're able to win friends and influence people. And with that being said, make sure you're real, be relevant, and be reselling. Peace. Peace.